Hello, my name is Steve Brown, and I'm the worship leader at Vintage Faith Church. At Vintage Faith, we believe the Word of God is what changes and transforms a person. We hope you enjoy the next 30 to 40 minute sermon of the Word of God being proclaimed and explained. Enjoy the message. All right, good morning. Those were good songs, guys. I'm going to kind of shoot off the cuff here, and I'm thrilled that Vintage Faith is a church that is what's called Christocentric, Christ-centered. All you got to do is look around the world and realize that um, man is the problem. Man can't be the solution. It'd be circular reasoning to say that the problem is the solution. So we come here, and our heart and minds are pointed to Christ here at Vintage Faith. So thank you for the band for choosing those songs. And now I'm going to move to our scripture reading. We're in week three of our series on Genesis. And I'm reading Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Good morning. A few announcements before we get going. Um, <clears throat> tithes and offerings in the back. Um, don't forget about us. If you're a regular giver here, we definitely depend on the giving of the church to sustain ourselves and to, to move forward. Um, we also have a Wednesday night 6.30 Bible study where we're doing biblical theology. We're actually going through the covenants, so that's Wednesday nights at 6.30. If you're interested in that, come see me. There will be some nights where we, some Wednesdays where we are not on, so you, you want to kind of be in, in communication with me or other people that are going to that, but if you're interested, um, come see me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. You have entered into the world and into a sinful, broken world where we are the problem, like Kevin just said, and you have ransomed us and redeemed us and bought us on the cross. You said it is finished. Lord, we thank you for that truth. And as we look into your word today, in Genesis, help it to speak to us, to our hearts, to our minds, and, and just help it to frame how we see the world, how we see you, how we see the chaos around us. 
and how we speak into that. Lord, you are good, you are righteous, and you are just. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. In the fourth century, the church was really wrestling with who is Jesus? Is he God? Is he man? Is he fully God, fully man? How, how does this Jesus, how do we think about him? And there was a council, many of you probably have heard of the Council of Nicaea, where they, the church literally hashed that out. Who is the person of Jesus Christ? This was the question of the fourth century. Fast forward a bit to the 16th century. The question changed. The question was now, how are we saved? Is it through works or is it through faith? Is it justification by faith alone or is it through something that I do? And the church was wrestling through this. And if you know anything about the Reformation, that is what's going on. That is why Martin Luther nailed um, the, to the side of the Wittenberg church um, his thesis. In the 20th century, the, the, the question became, is the Bible the inerrant word of God? And the church wrestled through this in the 20th century and came to a point where, where they wrote statements and they said, yes, the Bible is the inerrant word of God. But today the church is wrestling through something completely different. Today the church is wrestling with the question, what does it mean to be a human being? You have statements like the Nashville statement, if you've ever read that, that's a statement that came out in the last few years where the church is just making statements. This is what we believe. We don't believe this, we believe this. The church is writing, and here's our word again that, that we've used every week, polemically, it's an argument. They're writing into something that's happening in the culture and, and seeping into the church, and they're saying, no, we don't believe this. This is what we believe. And as we talked, we're in this series in Genesis. Genesis is an origin story. It's a polemic. It was written as an argument when, when Israel was led out of Egypt. They had all these origin stories going on. Egypt had their own worldview, their own set of this is what the world is about. And Genesis just tore that down, the book of Genesis. And it still speaks today. If we look at all the major issues going on in the world today, Racism, abortion, transgenderism, transhumanism, which is the relationship with technology and the body. That's an interesting one. The attack on the family, assisted suicide. All of this is connected to the idea and the answer to what does it mean to be human? Are we just a bunch of atoms collected for a time and then, and then when we die, they, they spread out? Are we just an accident? And that's what we've been exploring for the last few weeks. This is the predominant thinking of the culture around us. We read a few quotes 
over the last few weeks that, that we are just an accident, that there's no purpose, there's no meaning to life. Is there order and purpose to the universe? Am I uniquely designed? Are you uniquely designed and created by God with purpose? In 1966, some of you are old enough to remember this, um, Time Magazine came out with the infamous cover, article, or cover page of God is dead. Is God dead? It was in 1966. It was a Time Magazine. Is God dead? And over the, the course of those years since then, there's been a dismantling in, in the West in particular. Owen Strayan says it like this. He says, the West finds itself in a brave new moment. A moment of revision and redefinition of the person. That's where we find ourselves in this cultural moment. That's where the church finds ourselves. And we are to be the pillar and the buttress of the truth. So we need to speak into this. A 2019 CDC report shows the number of young people attempting suicide, dying from suicide, has gone up 56% from 2007 to 2017. of students who identify as gay, lesbian, bisexual have thought about suicide. And the question that we have to ask into the world, are we made for more than just chasing our desires and our impulses, watching Netflix, and playing on our phones? Are we made for more? Our young people need to be hearing this. We need to be hearing this. And Genesis is answering these type of questions. A worldview in particular is a philosophy of life that answers origins, purpose, where the world is headed. Why are we here? Who am I? Identity. Genesis answers that. Who am I? We're going to look at that today. Why am I here? Purpose, meaning. What's wrong with the world and how does it get fixed? Those are the questions that worldviews answer. Whether someone says I hold to a worldview or not, they might not call it a worldview. But those are the questions, are the big questions every generation and every human being that is thinking is asking. So the book of Genesis is going to speak into this. All right, here we go. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we see from where we were yet uh, last Sunday, we were looking at we looked kind of a, just quickly went through a bunch of the days, and, and, but now we see that something shifts here when God is about to talk about making man and woman. We have 
Let us make man in our image. You have a, a, a Trinitarian reference right here in the book of Genesis, chapter 1. And it, when, you, when you read the Bible, one thing that we, we should be taking note of is a lot of times the Bible moves along quickly, and then it really focuses in. For instance, it, it, it's doing it right here. We're going to look. We looked at um, verses 1 through 25, and then 26 through chapter 3 is just looking at man and woman that God created. So it's building up, and it's kind of a, a zoom in. But another way that that happens is in the book of Genesis, chapter 1 through 11 is about the span of 2,200 years. And the rest of the book is about 200. And that should tell us who is Abraham, who is Isaac, who is Jacob. Why, why is the Bible focusing so much in on Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob? So that's a, a tip when you're reading the Bible, when you see that happen, that's God just zoning in and saying, pay, pay attention. Owen Strand says this about creation of man and woman, from time immemorial, the Lord had planned this moment. The moment when he would produce his greatest creation, his masterwork, the only being made in the image and carrying the likeness of God himself. This was not true of the animals, marvelous as they are. It was not true of the celestial bodies, brilliant as they are. It was not true of the oceans, much as they roar. Men and women are created in the image and likeness of our creator. This is a beautiful thing. This is something that the rest of the world does not have and we have as Christians. And we need to, to dig deep into it and understand this doctrine. Because this doctrine is a doctrine that I think is, just rises to the surface today with all the madness around us. What does it mean to be created in the image and likeness of God? Theologians have wrestled with this question for, for thousands of years. I'm just going to give you three things. We resemble God. We're representatives of God. And we're in relationship with God. Resemble representatives and relationship. This summer, we have had an ongoing issue with a dog in our house, and, and some of you know it, and you've heard our story, and you know our dog. We love our dog, but our dog is a difficult dog. <laughs> he likes to bark, and he barks loud. It's one of those throaty, like really, like a wolf. Um, whole neighborhood can hear him. And we've struggled with them for, for years. We've had them for, for seven years now, and we, we had a neighbor complain. And um, as I was taking the complaint and listening, I'm thinking, I really have no response. She's absolutely right. So me and Amy really, after that happened, we're like, I, I think it's time. I think it's time to get rid of Charlie. 
we kind of, for a week, like wrestled through this. We even had it set up where so, someone was going to come and, and pick them up. And that person canceled at the last minute. And through a series of events, we just said, hey, maybe God is telling us to, to keep this dog and we still have him. But here's the point. My kids give me a harder time than Charlie. <laughs> and never in the history of any of the children that I have have I said with Amy, you know what? <laughs> we come down in the morning and Anthony's cereal bowl is on the table. There's cereal stuck to the, to the encrusted to the kitchen table. There's milk all over it. Does he even know where the garbage can is? And by the way, he costs a lot of money. <laughs> Maybe we should think about getting rid of Anthony. That question has never crossed my mind. And why doesn't it cross my mind? Everyone intuitively knows human beings are of infinitely more value than animals. And now we're living in a world that's trying to blur that line even. Human beings are of infinite value. C.S. Lewis says it like this. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. This does not mean that we're to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind and it is, in fact, the merriest kind which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. What Lewis is getting at is the human being is an eternal Creation. You, you were created, but you will live eternally. And the Bible says you'll either live eternally in hell or you'll live eternally with God. And all our conversations should be as such, with respect and dignity for that person. But we, we all know we live in a day and age where that isn't the, the, the feel of anything, right? Like, People are shouting at each other. And if you go online and go on Facebook and you just get this opinion and that opinion and this opinion, people being reduced to their opinions and hated for their opinions. Hated. And we can fall victim for that with that. As Christians, we can tend to, hey, I don't like that ideology. I really detest it. It's anti-God ideology. Oh, and that person believes that. And then you start treating them is less than. In the book of James, it says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. James is saying, just watch the tongue. And, and, and Jesus would, would pull that and say, hey, the, the mouth is just going to speak what's in the heart. All people, all people are made in the image 
and likeness of God. And therefore, all people have value and dignity. All people. And we know this. We have this doctrine. And the rest of the world does not. They have no real reason to treat people well. Because in their worldview, we're just a bunch of atoms collected for a time with no purpose and and we're going to die. And that's it. But we have a reason. A reason why all people are valuable. In 1857, some of you know this, this story. Dred Scott, he was a slave from Missouri. And his master brought him up north into Wisconsin territory where slavery was illegal at the time. And Dred Scott claimed from that moment onward, when I was taken into to free territory, I'm no longer a slave. You can't take me back. And the Supreme Court ruled seven to two against Dred Scott, saying, you, you are a slave, you have no rights, go, go back. Go back with your owner. There were two dissenting opinions, and one of them, Justice McLean, and again, we're we're all the way back in 1857, and this is his reason why he dissented. A slave is not mere chattel, that's property. A slave is not property. He bears the impress of his maker and is amenable to the laws of God and man. He's destined to an endless existence. What's the reason for why he should have had his freedom? He's made in the image of God. This is the argument. This is the argument against owning another human being made in the image of God. This is the argument for fighting for the unborn made in the image of God. This is the argument for why there's only two genders made in the image of God, male and female. Why do black lives matter? Black lives matter because made in the image of God. The organization Black Lives Matter has no cogent reason for why any black life would matter. We do. Black lives matter, all lives matter, because they were made in the image of God. We have the only worldview that can make sense of this. We have the only worldview. In the time that that Genesis was written, there were other things going on than than today. And and like I've been saying, and I'm going to continue continue to say this. Genesis was written as a polemic. It's an argument. And I want you to to, to get that word polemic because it's very important. It was written to dismantle other worldviews at the time and to narrate God's worldview. But in the time of of Genesis, when, when Israel was led out of Egypt, women were considered second class citizens. And for much of history, women have been considered second-class citizens. And Genesis comes in and just obliterates that. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And here we go. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. You notice here, God is not saying, men, you have dominion over the woman. He's saying, male and female, go together. You have dominion together. And this was revolutionary at the time. In that day, that was, it was revolutionary. And it's also revolutionary today. God made them male and female. Not cisgender, transgender, this or that. There's 71 genders, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I looked at it last night, and I'm not on Facebook, so I, I looked it up. But 71 genders. And that number may be higher now. And Genesis comes in and says, no. There's men and women. And God gives your gender. You can't choose your gender. You're given it. Male and female. Genesis still speaks as a polemic into our day and age. That's why we're going through Genesis we felt that it was timely and speaking into the, to the world that we all find ourselves in. At the end of, of this, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So this word very, it's a, it's a, uh, a Hebrew word, me'od is the word, it's the same word used when it says, when, when the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your, and here it is, might. So this word, meod, very, our English translation doesn't do it justice. It's a forceful word. It's a might. It's like, yes, God saw man and woman in everything that he made, and he, it was just a mighty, forceful, very good. In no other worldview does humanity have such promise, such dignity. Yet this vision has received fierce pushback in the West. This has gone through many phases. In the latest phase, mankind is drained of meaning. The human race has no inherent design. Humanity is a blank slate with no script for existence beyond impulse and desire. Those last words, impulse and desire, that is the predominant thinking of, of our culture. That is what me and Amy find with our kids having to try to teach them and, and correct because they are, whether it's implicitly or explicitly, they're being taught by everything around them that they exist, their sole reason exists to have fun and to be entertained with this app, this app, this app, this video, this and that's not what we were made for. 
Entertainment is good, but it is not our purpose. We were made for so much more. Something has gone wrong, and and we're going to get to that in, in Genesis 3, but we'll touch on it a bit probably every week. Something has gone wrong. Man and woman were created, and and God said it was very good, and it's the crown of his creation, but then we look around and we say, this is a hit. Really? All the chaos and the rioting and the killing, and this is God's good creation? Something has gone wrong. And Genesis is going to point to it's a worship problem. It's a worship problem. See, the world thinks, and the great lie that Satan has told, and he told it in the garden, and he's, he's told it from the beginning of time, is that if you follow the Lord, you're losing something. He's holding back on you. He's, he doesn't want you to have pleasure. That's the lie. That's the lie. That's actually what the world all around us thinks that we're doing. Oh, you Christians, you're just, you're, you're just so tight and you're against everything. Let us just live and, and take these chains off us and just do whatever we want. But it's not about pleasure. It's about worship. And this is one of the ways where we image God. It's a relationship. It's worship. And I'm not talking about worship just in here. This is all of life worship. In the garden, Satan says it like this, you will not certainly die. So he's what? He's questioning what God said to to Eve. Oh, he said you're going to die. You're not going to die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, it's interesting here because we just read back in Genesis 1 that we're already like God. We are made in the image and likeness of God. And now here's Satan spinning that, saying, well, when you eat of this, you will be like God. And he's questioning God's goodness. And the world around us questions God's goodness. And if the totality of our faith was about what we didn't do, then it would be a miserable faith. But it's not about that. That's the fruit of our faith. The Apostle Peter says it like this. He says, For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. And get this right here. With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And then what do they do? They malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Our faith is not about what we don't do. Our faith is about who we worship. And in that worship, there are things that we set aside and say, no, this is, this is sin. This is not getting me closer to God. This is actually putting a wedge between me and God. 
The world is telling us that pleasure and self-discovery is what our soul craves and needs. But the reality is that exalting God, God exaltation is what we were made for. That's how we image him in, our, in a relationship. We were made to exalt God. Only when we do this can we be the people that God made us to be. And can we lean into our true humanity only when we do that. There's an author that, that I enjoy, and I've quoted him multiple times up here, and it's because the quote is just packed with, with truth. He's not a Christian, and he's, a, a, I think, about 12 years dead. Um, his name's David Foster Wallace, and he was giving a commencement speech to a bunch of college kids that, that just were graduating, and he was trying to really speak to their hearts in, in a profound way of, you know, some of the hardness of being an adult, like the monotony, and, and all of us know that, that, you know, when you're young, you kind of think, man, when I, when I get older, I'm going to have my own house, I'm going to get married, I'm going to have kids, and then sooner or later, probably sooner than later, you're like, this is monotonous. It's day in and day out. It is not as exciting as I anticipated it. And he was speaking into that, but he says something pretty profound about worship in, in that speech. He said, because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel like you have enough. Worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. We would disagree as Christians. Again, he's writing this from a non-Christian perspective. It's that they're unconscious. They're default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. The human problem is sin, but sin is a worship problem. We've read this in, in Romans, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator was blessed forever. Amen. This is the problem with the world. It's a worship problem. I don't want you, God. I'll take what you've made and given me. I don't want you in the picture because God has some things. When you start believing in a God and a personal God who created the world, there, there's some things that come with that. There's some implications, and, and we don't want those implications. We just want to enjoy. We just want to enjoy his things. Paul gives the, an extended treatment of the gospel in the book of Romans from chapter 1 all the way up to 11. 
He breaks it down in just multiple facets. And then he, he pivots at, at chapter 12, and he basically says, because of all of this, and then he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, so he's talking to believers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So this word bodies is, is everything. It's not just physical body. It's, it's all of you. Present it to God. Give it to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. This is the problem with the world. This is what happened in the garden gone wrong. Before the fall, there was a perfect relationship with God and man and woman. But that's broken. And he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So This is why we're in the word. This is why we talk about the word. This is why we uphold the word. How are we changed? We're changed by the word. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We image God by being in relationship with him. All human beings are made in the image of likeness of God. So there's two elements to this. All human beings, a baby in the womb who's, who, who can't think, can't rationalize, can't do anything, and a, a grown adult who can't think, can't rationalize, maybe has some mental issues, all human beings. There is just in being human, the image and likeness of God is on all people. Yet, another aspect of imaging God, which has been lost in the fall, is that relationship. And only Jesus can bring us into that relationship, back to the Father. Jesus Christ is the image of God. Not like us. We are like, in his likeness, Jesus is the image of God. Hebrews says it like this. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Through the cross, Jesus Christ has reconciled you. If you've placed your faith in him, you have union with him, the image of God, and you are being made and conformed into his image. You are becoming more and more like yourself through a relationship in Jesus. You are becoming more and more human as humans were intended to be through your relationship with Christ. We can't be who we were intended to be when we're busy being controlled by sex, power, money, experiences. When we're giving those things ultimate value in our life, we're actually being controlled by them. The Bible would say slavery. You're, you're a slave to that sin. You're a slave to that thing. And if you know Jesus, you're no longer a slave to that. You've been free. He is now your master. And you follow him, and there's freedom in that. 
The lie that, that we all can believe is as we give more and more of ourself and our families to, to Christ, that we're losing something. We're losing fun. We're losing an experience. We're losing something. But this couldn't be further from the truth. You were made to worship God. You were made to worship him in all of your life. And that's where we're going to find freedom, and that's where we're going to get in touch with the true image. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we confess that we have sinned against you. Lord, we confess that we constantly put other pursuits in front of you. We believe the lie that pleasure and experience, impulse and desire is going to fulfill us, and it's just not true. God, help us to understand what it means for all people to be made in the image of God and help us to treat in love and see all people as eternal through that lens. And God, one of the ways that as Christians that we can fill and subdue the earth is through sharing your word, sharing the gospel. You're ultimately recreating and subduing a people of your own. You're calling out a people of your own and you're using us to do it, Lord. Help us to see that as part of our purpose. It's part of our purpose as individuals and part of our purpose as a church. Lord, you're a magnificent God. We thank you that in a world full of chaos that we can have an anchor of our soul, that we can come here and worship you and then worship you the rest of our week. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vintage Faith Podcast. At Vintage Faith, our vision is to help people who are far from God to become totally devoted followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast brought you closer to God. For more information, check us out at vintagefaithcicero.com.